Um, we are in this book of Colossians, and as I go there, just let me say thank you for being a wonderful church. You're being very kind and gracious. Um, just thank you. It's just a joy to be here. It really is. So we're in Colossians. Started last week. Colossians, a book written to the church at Colossae. Colossae is 120 miles east of Ephesus. Paul was in Ephesus for three years doing ministry, building the church. And there's a man named Epaphras from Colossae who came to Ephesus, heard the gospel, went back, and by God's grace started the church. The church was small, growing. He would go back and forth to hear from the apostle Paul. And then later, Paul is imprisoned in Rome, and Epaphras makes the arduous journey from Colossae across the sea to Rome, and he's with Paul in Rome, and he's attending to Paul with a group of loyal lieutenants taking care of the apostle Paul during the day, going home at night or to a, a, a hostel at night and coming back and being with Paul during the day. And as he's talking to Paul, he talks talks to Paul about this church at Colossae, a church that Paul had never seen, never been to Colossae, never seen these believers face-to-face, but heard about them. And he gives a good report about the church of Colossae uh, with a few issues that are, they're dealing with called the Colossian heresy. And Paul writes this beautiful letter to this church that he'd never seen, but he's praying for and he loves. And last week we saw how the book starts off with a cardinal teaching regarding the Christian faith, which is this. The mark of a believer is faith in Jesus Christ and love for the saints. And that faith in Christ and love for the saints is built and nourished and strengthened by the hope of heaven and the continuous application of the gospel. And Paul rejoices. He's very glad because he sees that in this church. And he goes on and he makes some other comments. He says this. He says, this gospel, verse 6, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and it is growing, as it also does among you since the days you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so Paul says, not only do you have faith in Christ and love for the saints, not only do you have the hope of heaven, not only are you gospel-centered, but the, the, the gospel is producing fruit and is growing in your lives. And I have heard of, and I rejoice of your love in the Spirit. And then the next paragraph is a prayer, and he says this, and so... From the day we heard, we have, we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And to stop. So you think about this church. This church is vibrant, filled with love, faith in Christ, the hope of heaven. They're gospel-centered. The gospel is producing fruit in their lives. It's growing. They are filled with the love of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Some say, well, just keep on going. Just, just put it on cruise control. You're, you're just, just go downhill. Just float like you're on the Edisto and it's going toward the, just, 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 do, just do it. Just, but no, this is what he prays. And it's a beautiful prayer. 
We pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the, of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so my, my thesis this morning is, is, is simply this. It is, it is that we're to be people of prayer. Prayer is important because we are in battle, and prayer is essential, and it's a particular type of praying. I, want to, I hear that. It's a particular type of biblical praying. And so prayer is important. We know from one confessional statement that prayer is the offering up of our desires to the Lord in the name of Jesus Christ in accordance with his word, with confession of our sins and grateful acknowledgement of his tender mercies. Prayer. There's something called the Heidelberg Catechism. It's in the worship guide. And it says this, why is prayer necessary for Christians? And here's the answer. And it's a powerful statement. Because it is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us and also because God will give his grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires continually ask of him and are thankful for them. In other words, the confession says this, that spiritual empowerment... And spiritual energy comes from the throne room of God as people pray for the anointing of the Holy Spirit and they're thankful for the goodness that God visits in their lives. Prayer is important. Prayer is important because we read in, in chapter 4 of this book, Colossians, Paul gives a thumbnail statement about the character of Epaphras, the, the pastor, the leader of the church at Colossae. He says this, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Always struggling for you. Always struggling for your welfare. Here's my conviction. I, I believe that when we, when we get to heaven, we're going to have all knowledge. And we're going to understand that our walk in the Lord, our strengthening, our joy, our purpose, our, our, our well-being in part was because people that we know and love who are Christ followers prayed for us. Prayer is a marvelous means of blessing people and extending the kingdom of God. And so it's praying of a particular type. And so Paul says this, ever since I've heard of it, I haven't ceased to pray for you, asking that God may fill you with the knowledge of his will. He said, no, no, wait, this church is loving and kind. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They have the spirit of love. They're gospel people. They have the hope of heaven. What do you mean? Filled with the knowledge of his will. Here's the answer. You and I are leaky buckets. Leaky buckets. 
So you go to the fountain of grace and you, you're, you're filled with the knowledge of God and you're filled with the energy of the Lord and you go out and just the daily things of life or sin or indifference or neglect, that they just drain the bucket. I need a daily, continuous, ongoing filling and energizing by the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul says. Paul says, you're a great church. You're full of love and energy and passion and gospel people and you're all of these things, but here's my prayer for you. I pray that God in his tender mercies would fill you with the knowledge of his will, with all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. I need the ongoing mercy of God. That's why Paul looks at the church of Philippi and he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Or Peter says in 2 Peter, make your calling and your election sure by the way you live. Or that's why Paul could say to this church in Colossae, a church that, that was buffeted by heresy that said in part, the physical isn't important. And he, he writes them with this thunderbolt. He says in chapter 1, verse 22, he says, Christ has now reconciled you in his body of flesh. It's a real body. By his death, in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach before him. Listen, if you are a Christ follower and you're, 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 you, want, you, you know Jesus, you are holy, you are blameless, and you are above reproach. Do not listen to the accusing voice of the adversary. That's who you are. Look, look, look at the next verse, though. If indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So, so Paul says, yeah, you're, you're, you're holy, you're blameless, and you're above reproach, but the sign of that in your life is that you're going onward. You're not moved. You're stable. You're a rock. And so he says, we're in a battle, pray. We're in a battle, pray. We're at warfare, pray. Let me, let me give you briefly the reason that we need to pray much. We're in a battle. Our adversary is the devil. The Bible refers to him as a, the accused of the brethren, a roaring lion. Let me give you four qualities of the, of, of the devil. Number one, he is a liar. He's a liar. Jesus refers to Satan in John 8 as a liar and the father of lies. Jesus says when, he's, when he lies, he's speaking his native language. He's a liar. The same thing about Satan is, is that he, he blinds minds. M-I-N-D-S. He blinds the minds of people. 2 Corinthians 4 says that, that in the case of, of, of men and women without Christ, Satan has blinded their minds so they cannot see the light of the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. Satan wants to blind our minds, especially if you're a non-believer, to the glory and the goodness and the majesty and the mercy and the eternal beauty of Jesus. He also masquerades. 2 Corinthians 11 says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. You see, evil doesn't come to you usually in, 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 with a horrendous, putrid smell that's trying to pull you down. It comes as an angel of light. It tries to appeal to you. Uh, downplays the... See, in Colossians, 
Paul is addressing something called the Colossian heresy. And I'm going to describe it in 30 seconds. We're going to discuss this at length in the future. The Colossian heresy was a weird mixture of a lot of different stuff. The Colossians heresy went something like this. We believe there is a God who is unapproachable and he's way, way beyond us. And the way you get there is through the worship of a chain of angels. Therefore, you need to worship angels and have an angel protector and wear an amulet with the name of an angel on it so you can declare your allegiance to this angel. And so you worship angels, and then you have these mystical experiences that are out of the body, and, and you talk about that. And, and then in addition to that, you have to follow all these man-made rules to get in on the angel's good favor. It was weird. And, and, and so the, they would come along and say, it's fine to believe in Jesus. It's good to have a God, one God among many, no big deal. But what you really need to approach the God who cannot really be named is you need to worship angels. And to get on their good graces, you've got to do A, B, C, D, and E and subpoint one, two, three. And you've got, and if you do that, there's magic words where you can have mystical experiences. And, and that's why Paul, Paul thunders in this book. It's just, just a, I love this book. He says in chapter two, verses 18 and 19, he says this, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, or don't eat, don't drink, wear this, don't wear that, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels and going into great detail about visions puffed up with reason by their sensuous mind. He says, don't let them disqualify you. I'm not really sure exactly what the word disqualify means. At minimum, it means don't let anybody rob you of your joy and your purpose and your worship of the Lord Christ. Then he says this, If you do that, verse 19, you're not holding fast to the head who is Christ, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, and it grows with the growth that is from God. Paul says, let me tell you, if if you see and know Christ, he is the exact representation of God. He is eternally God. He is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's God. You don't get any better than the reality of Christ. So Satan masquerades. He also plucks the word from our lives. There's a, Mark chapter 4 says that Satan will, the, the, excuse me, the word is broadcast, thrown out, and Satan comes in like a bird, and he takes it up so it can't have root. You know, you're sitting here this morning. You know, there, God wants you to hear the word, to be confronted with Christ, to change. And, and Satan's desire is for you to think about what's for lunch or what am I going to do tomorrow or what am I going to do for Thanksgiving or see he, he, wants to, he wants to just and these are innocuous not bad things but I, I need to be attentive to the word so the question is how do we fight this liar who blinds who masquerades and who snatches the truth one of the primary passages is Ephesians 6 the armor of God Paul says put on the whole armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, your feet prepared with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith whereby you quench the fiery darts of the devil, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But then he says this. He says, praying, praying. Praying at all times in the Spirit should be kept less. With all prayer and supplication, to that end, 
Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So, so the, how do you bring the armor with power? You pray. Please hear this. I think we make prayer way too hard. Uh, we're an activist people. And this is what I tell people. Begin the day with a time of prayer. A few minutes, just pray. Pray a psalm. Pray scripture. I'm going to show you that. Keep a small, a short list of people to pray for. And then as you go through the day, pray from stoplight to stoplight. For, you know, I've got, I use my, my hand. I've told you this before. My family, people who point the way to Christ, leaders, those who are hurting, and the next generation. Just stoplight to stoplight. Or from appointment to appointment, you stop for one minute, then you slowly pray through parts of the Lord's Prayer. But prayer becomes part. I want to be a man of prayer. I want this to be a church of prayer where we bring up our desires to the Lord in the name of the mediator, Jesus. And I was reading through the Gospels. I was reading in Luke. and I, Luke 18 is just one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And it's got all these wonderful stories and and as I read it, and I was thinking about prayer, and I thought, this is really a primer on prayer. So let me just briefly walk through Luke 18. So Luke 18 begins with a story about Jesus telling about being persistent in prayer. And he says, there was a woman, a widow, who needed uh, some help, and she went to a judge, and he says there was a judge who didn't fear God, and he didn't respect man. He was just indifferent. And so he kept putting off this woman, kept putting her off, Jesus says, and she kept barraging him and asking him and asking him. And finally he said, listen, I don't respect man and I don't fear God, but I'm going to give you a request just so you'll leave me alone. And what Jesus says, the, the principle is this, do not give up when you pray. Keep going to the Father because the Father is a whole lot better than this unjust judge. Go to the Abba, the Father. It's just so persistent prayer. And then the very next paragraph is a story about, uh, some real stories about, uh, about well, not a real story, it's a parable about the rich, uh, the tax collector and the Pharisee. And you know the story of two men went up to pray, Jesus says, and it's, it's a parable. And he says, uh, one was a tax collector. And the tax collector stood in the middle of the worship center and he turned around and he says, you know, I, God, I know you're really proud of me. I, I if I, were, if, if I were a Heisman Trophy candidate, they'd just already say, I'm a Heisman Trophy winner. I tithe, I fast, I give, I follow all these rules. You're really blessed to have me on your team. You said there's another man in the worship center who's a tax collector. A tax collector collected money for the Romans. They were despised by the Jews, despised. And so the tax collector sat in the corner, wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, and he beat his breast, and he says, God of glory, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus said something that absolutely blew the minds of the Jews. He said, I tell you, the tax collector went home right with God and not the Pharisee. Whoa. And so it's all about perseverance, and it's all about humility. Knowing my sin. And then the next thing is a real story. Jesus is teaching and children with dirty hands and dirty faces and noisy children 
wanted to sit on Jesus' lap and be with him, which, which I think is, is really one of the ultimate compliments. If children want to be with you, that's really cool. And the disciples were saying to the children, don't bother him. He's too important for kids. And Jesus says, stop it. Let him come. And he says, if you don't receive the kingdom of God like a child, you don't receive it. So I said, well, prayer is all about spontaneity. It's all about Abba Father and spontaneity. And then, and then there's another story in this chapter, and it's one of my favorite stories. It's about a blind man. We really have a blind man from birth. And he heard that Jesus was coming down the road where he lived, and so he had a friend put him out there on the road. And in those days, if you were blind or if you're mentally deficient or if you're physically incapacitated, it's because your parents sinned or, or maybe you sinned. So you're considered to be outside of the pale, beyond the pale, a cast out. And so he's sitting there along the road, and the mass has come down, and he starts crying out, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And the people around him said, just be quiet. You're blind. You're a non-person. And he cried all the louder, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, what do you want? And he says, Lord, I want to see. I've never seen. I've heard people describe colors. I've heard people describe a sunrise. I have no, I've never seen. And Jesus says, may it be to you as you desire, but we can see. And so I, I say, when it comes to prayer, I've got to be desperate. I've got to say, God, I can't pull this off apart from your grace. Do you ever say that? No, I, I do. Lord, I, I desperately need your grace in my life. So let me go to the text and, and just in the next few minutes talk to you about a particular type of praying. There's a book called Spiritual Formation by a man I respect very much named D.A. Carson. And D.A. Carson takes the prayers of the Apostle Paul and just dissects them. And these are one of the prayers he talks about. It's a beautiful prayer. There's nothing wrong with praying for homes and graduate schools and health and well-being and where to move and what. Those are all wonderful prayers. But I'm, I'm going to suggest to you that, that the baseline prayer of a believer is right here to a degree. God, may you so fill me with your wisdom, Holy Spirit, that I, that I have spiritual wisdom and understanding so that I will live a life that's worthy of the Lord. And see, see in, the, in the text... Spiritual wisdom means to think God's thoughts after him, to know the character and the mind of God. And understanding is the application of what you know. See, spiritual wisdom, knowledge. Later he says, increasing in the knowledge of God. And understanding is the particular application of what you know. And so my question is, how am I filled with spiritual wisdom? That's what I want. So I can make good decisions. What, what do I do? And here, here's the answer. It's, it's, I need to glory in Christ in the company of brothers and sisters in the Lord and plead for the Holy Spirit to give me understanding. A few verses. Colossians chapter 1. Just listen to this. Verse 25 to 27. See, the Colossian heresy was all about mysteries and mysteries and mysteries. And Paul says, I'm going to tell you the ultimate mystery is Christ. Listen, Colossians 1.25, he says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. 
Christ. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, so, so if I'm going to go in wisdom, I've got to know and glory in the mystery and the glory of Christ. He says in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, he says, that, that, that the hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, so if, if someone has spiritual wisdom, I've got to be somebody who glories in Christ and his word in the context of community and plead for the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. People are very kind sometimes to say, how, how can I pray for you? And I go, well, you know, just kind of, now I'm just going to start, I'm going to start saying, well, pray that I'd be, I'm going to quote one of Paul's prayers, one of the prayers of the Bible, pray that I'd be empowered by the Holy Spirit to have a spiritual wisdom and understanding so that I may live a life that's worthy of, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Man, that's what I want. So, so th this gives us a place to stand. You have wisdom, and you make decisions on particular issues. I've been, for the last couple of years, I've been meditating on a passage in Proverbs chapter 4. I was thinking about it. But Proverbs 4 sa says this. Starting verse 10, hear my son and accept my words that the years of your life may be many. I've taught you the way of wisdom. I've led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. I like that. He says, avoid the wicked. Don't, don't enter the path of the wicked and don't walk in the way of evil. He says, for there, there, there are some people out there who cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. They eat the bread of wickedness and drink the cup of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that goes brighter and brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. You and I both know, if you've been around people very long, I, I can tell you historically or in current culture, people that are bright and intelligent and gifted and went to all the right schools and they can't make good decisions. They just can't. They have no place to really stand. So every issue is going to be a knee-jerk response or you have to go back to the drawing board. Conversely, I know people that so-so well, in their intelligence. They didn't have all the opportunities to go to this school or, or that school. But when it comes to decision-making, they're winsome and they're smart and they do the right thing because they have spiritual wisdom. And they're able to make life application. Now, I'm going to give you, I've some, I could give you a lot of examples. We could just, but I'm going to give you just three examples. This is in the, the bulletin. I'm going to talk about three areas about how applied spiritual wisdom just works. And it's in the area of relationship and the physical and then our calling. So, so relationship. When it comes to the area of relationship, we, we read the Bible and we say, God is eternally triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has always been a holy community. 
We are made in the image of God. Therefore, I am called to be in relationship. That's who I am. I'm called to be in a relationship. I'm, I'm to be with people. Many people get married, and that's part of your relational calling. Some people have to get to singleness. Many people get married. The two become one, and there's a complementary relationship. But, but you know, when you enter marriage, this, I'm going to make a, a, a generalization. This is a very general. But in any relationship, it's easy to expect too much or to settle for too little. Understand what I'm saying? So, so in, in marriage, usually, generalization, in the marriage relationship, usually there's a group that ex- sometimes can expect too much. And they're called what? Women. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, this is generalization. And then there's, there, then there's a group that can be satisfied with way too little. Give me sports center and two meals a day, I'm happy. What are they called? Man, I mean, I, I mean that, that's been my observation. So the golden mean is to be in the Word and to be in prayer and to be in community and to not settle. Don't settle for peaceful coexistence. I, uh, I love weddings. Uh, I enjoy weddings. I, and, and when I meet with a couple, I say with great trepidation, are you going to use traditional vowels or are you going to write your own? And they say, oh, we'll use traditional vowels. I'll go, oh, yeah, good. Because occasionally they say, I want to write, we're going to write our own. And I go, oh. And I, I say, well, I need to review them. Because, you know, when you're young and in love and you're not married, you can make some really wild promises that really Superman can't feel. And so, but occasionally somebody would kind of on the spur do it. And I was in a wedding, and the guy said, for, as we walked, I want to say something to my wife that's not in the program. And I thought, oh, too late. I can't say anything. So I just smiled. And so he turns to his wife-to-be in 10 minutes, and he says to her, you're the love of my life. So far, so good. I promise to never be angry with you. Everybody in the congregation that was married and had been married more than two days, <laughs> they were trying to think of something to keep them from falling on the floor in laughter. I was too. You know, I thought, you know, stop, you're marrying a sinner. And she's marrying a sinner. And you're going to have to exercise sometimes the grace of daily forgiveness. Don't say things like that. It's not biblical. So, so what I'm saying is that is, is in the area of, of all relationships, we can expect too much or too little. And I think the Bible keeps us, keeps us here, just expectations. I remember years ago, my son's 32, just turned, he's a wonderful son. And um, he turned 18, and a young guy's talking to, and I said, you know, just, just pray for my son. I want to seem vibrant for Christ. I, mean, I, I think he's a believer, but I want to see and he said, really? I said, yeah. He said, well, let me ask you a question. He said, Has your, your son's 18? He said, yes. Has he been arrested for doing drugs? I said, no. He said, has he gotten anybody pregnant? I said, no. He says, and he's doing great. And I thought, that's a pretty low bar. You know what I mean? So, so you can you know, do that. It's a relationship. So, secondly is the physical. The physical. We live in a beautiful city made up of a lot of beautiful people. And, and age is, is applauded and embraced and advocated. And, 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 and yet, 
the reality is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, the outward man is perishing, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. The outward man is perishing. The inner man is being renewed day by day. We are in the process of aging. And, and if you have a place to stand there and you realize that, 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 that heaven awaits and that aging is part of life, then you can be filled with grace and dignity and love. And, and, but if you, if you don't believe that, then you're going you're to try to grab everything you can to go against the aging process. There are people that I'll see occasionally. They went to school here when they're in college ministry or here and they moved away and they came back and says, you know, I was here 20 years ago and we're back and they'll look at me. They're never really trying to be nice. And they'll say to me, you know, we haven't been here in 20 years. You haven't aged a bit. And I think, what else do you lie about? <laughs> you know, I want to say, no, come on, give me a break. We all age. And I want to say, I have never done this. Thanks for saying that. You look older than dirt, you know, <laughs> because listen, we are going to age and that's okay because you know what? Heaven awaits. We'll watch a movie and before the movie will be these trailers of upcoming movies, just released movies. And if it's a, a comedy, they show four or five clips of great comic banter. If it's a romance, they'll show two or three scenes of, of tenderness and love. If, if it's an action film, they'll show something, you know, some action films. And whenever we see a trailer, the person with whom I watch our movies will look at me, and she always says this, man, we may want to see that movie. That looks really good. And I say, yeah, it really does look good. Let's write it down, then we forget it. But, 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 but and then you go see that movie. And you realize that every funny thing in the movie was in the trailer. It was horrible. Or every tender moment in the movie was in the trailer. It's just horrible. And you go, man, such a disappointment. Let me tell you one trailer that can't begin to tell you what it's like. And that's the glory of heaven. The Bible uses wonderful imagery, but it can't begin to tell us the glory of being in an, the unfiltered, unsinful presence of the triune God and seeing Jesus face to face or the rich relationships or the banqueting and the feasting and the taste of, of, of the suppers or, or, or having a resurrected body that has no pains or drawbacks, the glory of heaven. So it gives us a place to stand with dignity. And the third area very quickly is just our calling in life. Um, I, I love what I do. And I, I know there are a lot of people here that says, you know, I really don't like my job. And I'm, I, I know that happens. And, and yet, we're going to cover Colossians 3 in a few months, but it talks about employment. And don't get hung up on the slave and the master languages, indentured servants and overlords. But let me just read these verses and make a couple of comments. That when you understand that your calling is from God and you represent the living God in the marketplace, it gives your life dignity. It does. It gives your life dignity. You don't just go to work to punch a clock. You, go, you represent Jesus in your work. You are an ambassador if you work in an auto parts store or if you're an attorney or if you're in the medical field or if you're a stay-at-home mom or if you're a teacher or, or if you're a, 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 really a street sweeper. You represent God. Listen. Paul says, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your overlords. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, 
but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Wow. So, so when you go to your job, you work with joy and purpose and dignity, and you do the right thing because you're not serving a corporation. You're not serving a group. You're ultimately serving the Lord. And you don't do it as men pleasers. In other words, you don't work hard when the boss is there. When the boss is gone, you do nothing. You work as unto the Lord who sees you 24-7. And you do this knowing that from the Lord you will receive your reward. You see, this gives work dignity and purpose. And it's a calling. So, so, so when you're filled with spiritual wisdom and you make proper decisions, it gives life dignity. And, 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 the, and the, the, the goal is to be somebody who walks in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of, of God. Let's pray. So, Lord, we are thankful people. We thank you for this upcoming holiday and thank you for the grace that you've poured into our lives as we've trusted in Jesus. I just thank you, Lord, that we have paradigms for prayer. And I pray that we would pray for one another, that we would be filled with the knowledge in such a way that, that we have spiritual wisdom and understanding. Uh, Lord, give us increased knowledge and give us spiritual wisdom so we can make good decisions. Uh, I, I pray, Lord, please do this, that as this happens, I pray that we be men and women who walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We bear the name of Jesus. Bearing fruit in every good work as we increase in the knowledge of God, or is increasing in the knowledge of God. So, thank you for calling us to yourself and giving us a place to stand with dignity in the area of relationship and aging and work and a hundred other areas. We have a place to stand. May we stand and give glory to you in Jesus' name.